Good morning. Thank you, Kelly, for your song leading this morning and leading some new ones, and uh, I appreciate your willingness to, to always do that. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. Through our study last week, we learned this. If I'm called to be transparent with God, Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner, and I find mercy, and Jesus' response to me as I deal with others is, learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then to me it implies that I can be transparent before my brothers and my sisters, because I find mercy. If I hadn't alluded to what I'd be talking about today, honestly, I probably would have chosen a different topic, because as you can tell by the title, it's not something that's exciting. It's not something that you're just going to jump out of your seat and give me a big hoorah, and we're all going to leave feeling great. But what I hope is that by the end of this, you find a new sense of, I can belong here because I can share with others and know what I will receive in return, and that is mercy. I'm going to start by reading a story by a guy named Jim. He says this. He says, my name is Jim. Over six years ago, more than three years after I began leading the Celebrate Recovery ministry of my church, I was confronted with the reality that I was serving on a church staff, leading a Celebrate celebrate Recovery, and living a lie. Like Zechariah, I had experienced a serious failure of faith. While engaged in ministry as a member of the pastoral staff and leading a successful program, I was harboring a secret and a selfish plan in my heart. While allowing my eyes and my thoughts to wander, I began to formulate a plan to leave my wife. I was deceived into thinking that I could find happiness elsewhere, far removed from God's plan. God pointed out, though, that while I was quick to apply the principles of recovery to the issue of alcohol, I wasn't being totally honest with him, my wife or my fellow staff members, on this other critical issue. I wasn't allowing God unrestricted access to all areas of my life. I was content advising others on how to reply, celebrate recovery, which is, for those of you that don't know, is a 12-step Christian uh, recovery program, how to apply celebrate recovery principles to their lives while carefully compartmentalizing my own. My battle with God didn't last long. I anxiously was in need of healing and restoration in terms of our marriage. What's the worst that could happen? I wondered. I was overcome with anxiety, fearful that I would confess my plan to her and be dismissed to follow my selfish ambition. Still, I knew I had to trust God exclusively and entirely. While the skeletons in Jim's closet, lust and alcoholism, may be different than our own, or maybe for you it's the same, there's times that we can all relate, right? On the outside, we live this perfect life through social media, through church attendance, maybe even serving in important ministries where we help others through things they're going through and appearing to be right with God in every way. Yet in the closet door to our heart, deep where no one is allowed to go, in fact, we haven't even showed anyone the walkway to this door, there lies a skeleton that we know brings about death 
and destruction in our own life. And in our fear that someone will find out, will find this closet and the skeleton inside, we have done our best to dress it up and to make it look alive. And each time, like Jim, that we come close to letting somebody in, in his case, his wife, we're overcome with fear that the consequences of outing our sinful nature, the hurt we have been carrying for years in our life to someone else is going to be greater than the tragedy of living with death inside of us. It's a balancing game. Do I share what's going on and risk being hurt, or do I share what's going on and risk being loved on and finding mercy and finding help? And the death inside some of us, sometimes, as I said last week, it's not our fault, but it's something that somebody else did. However, it's out of control, and we reason that I cannot deal with it on my own, but how can I tell somebody else what is going on? And I think one of the lies, and if you're looking at the back of your bulletin, I'll just warn you right now, all of that is going to come like in the last five minutes, okay? <laughs> at least you have a back of the bulletin this time. <laughs> one of the lies that Satan tells us, I think often, and myself often, is that in doing so, I have everything to lose and I have nothing to gain. How many of you have been there before? How many of you have carried hurts, habits, hang-ups that bring about guilt and death, and rather than confessing it, we try to deal with it in our own house. We try to say, I can do it on my, on my own. We reason with ourselves and we say, confessing to God is enough. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of your eyebrows raise and you go, well, isn't it enough to just confess to God? I think, well, sorry, giving God the sin in my life and confessing to him, isn't that enough? Shouldn't it be enough? We may even use David as the poster child in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. He says this, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, after he slept with Bathsheba. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. If we know the story of David, we know he sinned against a whole lot more people. But he says, I have sinned against you and you only. Back in Norfolk, one of the teens asked me, as we were doing a study on accountability, they said, why is it that we are constantly told that we need to have an accountability partner? I've confessed to God my sins. Is it crucial that I also confess to somebody else? Isn't he big enough to handle the situations that are going on in my life. I did my best to encourage this individual to let uh, someone they trusted in on that which was going on in their life. And I gave them a lot of the same reasons that I'd been given my whole life as to why we should have accountability partners. But deep down inside, I could see exactly where they were coming from. Isn't God big enough to handle it? And truthfully, I believe that he is, but I also believe that he has designed us in a way that not only do we need God, but we need one another as well. And until I stumbled upon this scripture for this study in James chapter 5 that Xander read, um, it kind of gave me an aha moment. In the New Testament, a hundred times, one another is mentioned. Those words, one another, 59 out of those hundred times are direct uh, things that we ought to do or not do to one another, 
right? It's very clear as to how we should treat one another. And I think this is one of the hardest ones uh, for us to put into practice. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Last week we talked quite a bit about what it looks like to confess to God and what do we find in Psalm 23 when I confess, or Psalm 32, when I confess to God, look what the psalmist finds. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the beat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, when we confess to God, we know that we find forgiveness. We know that we find healing. We know that we find mercy. But I believe that when we confess to one another, that we find healing. And I know there's several different interpretations on James 5.16. Is he talking about spiritual healing? Is he talking about physical healing? Because right before that, what's he talking about? The elders coming and praying over. So what is James alluding to here? And to be honest, I don't have quite the answer because people much smarter than I are also torn on it. But at least for me, I believe James is talking about healing spiritually. Because I've seen that at work in my own life. And isn't it genius of God's plan that we are all in need of one another? It's verses like this that keeps it from saying, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, and so I'm going to do it all on my own. Verses like this make it to where the truth is we can't and we shouldn't. You see, when I confess to God, I can be forgiven. When I confess to one another... I can be healed. And I think there are times in our lives that we need to confess not only to God, but also to one another. Sometimes it's not an either or, but it's a both and. For many years, and I've mentioned this in front of an audience only once, so you guys are audience number two. I dealt with the issue of pornography and lust in my heart. Ever since I was a young boy, did I confess to God and know I was forgiven? Absolutely. And I reasoned with myself, today is the last time. I know it's not what God wants for me, and I have the power to stop myself. And then what happened? I fall right back into it. I'd go through cycles of doing well and then really poorly. But even th when things were going well, I could still feel it in the back of my mind. You see, because at least for me, baptism didn't heal me. Camp didn't heal me. Church meetings didn't heal me. Me trying harder didn't heal me. Don't get me wrong, there were plenty of times where the Spirit came through on my behalf and I was able to overcome. But I came to the realization that I'm not God and that I'm powerless to control that which is in me and my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life at times had become unmanageable. And finally, I got tired of this thing 
This may be the first time you've heard somebody say it from the pulpit, this thing rearing its ugly head, and it wasn't until my second or third year of marriage when I was able to tell Katie. I was always forgiven, but for me, I did not begin the healing process, the overcoming process, until she knew and together we were able to work through it. It was, it, it was both and, to God and to her. And what did I find? Mercy. Love. You see, as humans, we want to be fully known and we want to be fully loved. And two to three years in my marriage, Katie fully loved me, but I didn't feel like she fully knew me because I had done such a great job of hiding things. We just celebrated 12 years yesterday. Katie fully loves me, and she fully knows me. Some of you may be sitting here and you're thinking, uh, there's is nothing, sorry, some of you may be sitting here today, you may be thinking there's nothing in your life that needs to come to light. In fact, in a conversation with Katie, when she said, hey, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm going to talk about confessing to one another. She said, oh, that's easy. Okay. My reply was, it's not easy when you're perfect and don't have anything to confess. And she said, I think you have found something to confess on. <laughs> Proverbs 16, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. And be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. For those of you who are sitting there and you're like, well, that's Jim's life, that's Chris's life. I encourage you to get alone with God. I encourage you to make a list of where you are at in your relationships, in your priorities, in your attitude, your integrity, your mind, your body, your church, your family. Get down in a quiet place and see where am I truly in these different areas of my life. And I did this before I began to write the sermon because how could I tell you to confess one another if I am not willing or prepared to go there myself? And what I found, and maybe I'm more broken than most, but what I found is that there's a lot of things beneath the surface that I've not dealt with, things that have made me angry, discontent, resentful. And I have a list of things outside of what I just confessed that I need to talk to Katie to. And I have to talk to some other people about so that I can seek forgiveness? Yeah, in some cases, but mostly so that I can begin to heal and move on as I know these individuals will pray for me because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm able to move on and look more like what God created me to be, what God created you to be as we offload, share each other's burdens, for in this way you do what? You fulfill the law of Christ. And David in Psalm 51, what does he say? He says, the sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, let these things that I have forgotten about or that I choose to ignore come to light because they show up when it's most unexpected, and it's devastating when they do. Why? Because I've ignored it for so long. God agrees. <laughs> I get that it is said, or you've probably heard something similar, confess to the audience that was offended. 
If you offended God, confess to him. If you offended one another, confess to God and to the person that you offended. And if you made an offense publicly, confess publicly. And while I get the idea behind that, I want to challenge us a little bit and take one step further because in some ways I think that that shows us how to do the bare minimum. Bear with me. We're all part of the body, right? Jesus prayed that we could all be one, right? You guys can shake your heads. We're all part of the body, right? Jesus prayed that we could all be one, right? When regardless, when we sin, regardless of who it is against, it hurts the body. Each of you sitting in the chairs this morning or standing up here, you are not at your full potential when you are harboring sin, whether it's the unwillingness to forgive or the hatred of someone who has wronged you or a habit that you cannot and you are unable to stop. Because when we sin, we are not everything that God created us to be because sin does two things every single time. It creates a barrier between me and God and it creates a barrier between me and others. Every single time, there is no exception. Barrier between me and God and me and others, even if they aren't directly involved. How do I know that? I've experienced it many times, and you probably have as well. That when there are sins in your life, even though you don't think it affects everybody, the truth is it does because the body is not as strong when somebody is hurting. Are you saying that? You maybe think to yourself, are you saying that we need to go around and tell everybody everything that has gone on in our life? Do I need to go around these, I was going to say halls, but there's really no halls in this building. Do I need to go around the room and tell everybody everything that I have done? I don't think that's what James is getting at. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. Because I think that's where discernment comes in to place. But what I am saying is that no matter how private you think your life is, no matter how hidden you believe it is, it affects us as a whole. Every single time. When we share our successes, we become competitors. When we share our brokenness, we really got to fix this thing. (laughs) When we share our brokenness, we become brothers. Last week I had said the way for this church to move forward is to really take in this idea of mercy. I'm going to be merciful to others and I'm going to pray that they are merciful to me. I think along with us responding in mercy in order for us to move forward is admitting what part we each have played to get to the place that we're at. Why? Because it's a whole lot easier to find mercy when you've also said, and here's what I have done. It's harder to find mercy when we're blind to the very things and the very problems that we have created due to our selfishness. If we want to move forward, if we want to get away from where we're at and to where we believe God wants us to be, to be the light of Christ, united in love, then we must find and give mercy over and over again 
but we must also stop just passing the blame and saying, here's what part I have played, even if it's in my individual life and I didn't think that it affected the whole because it has. We need to be willing to admit to one another and to ourselves, this is why we're here and this is what we need to do. I was visiting Earl Wade in the hospital on Friday, which, by the way, his first name's not Earl, so it took me forever to find him. Okay, never mind. <laughs> anyway, so I was, I was visiting Earl in the hospital, okay, and uh, they were doing some construction in there, and it, it said this. It had a sign, and it said, excuse our progress. Most of the time, when you see construction, you see a sign that says, excuse our mess, or excuse the inconvenience, we're sorry for this, we're sorry for that. But this one said, excuse our progress. I think confession is a whole lot like that. I don't think when we confess, we're saying, excuse our mess, I'm sorry, I'm broken, I'm sorry, I'm this. I think what we're telling each other is, is excuse me, excuse us, as we make progress toward the future, because that's what confession does. That's what bringing sin into light does, is move us forward. So if you're visiting here and it's your first time and you go, this is a messed up church, guess what? They all are. <laughs> but I tell you, and I'll say it again, excuse our progress. Excuse us while we work through things to get where we believe God intended us to be through mercy and through confession. Earlier I had said that one of the lies Satan makes us believe is that we have everything to lose and nothing to gain. If I admit to somebody, this is what's at stake. The truth is, I believe we have lots to lose and lots to gain. This is where the back of your bulletin comes into play. Some people feel that if they admit their sins to one another, they have everything to lose and nothing to gain. Following is the truth about four things we have to lose and three things that we have to gain by sharing our sins with someone we trust. Four things that we lose. One is when I confess, I lose my sense, our sense of isolation. I'm no longer alone in this, but I have invited others in who I trust who can make a difference and propel me and you forward. And so I'm no longer on an island, but now I have invited others to change that, to change the circumstance, to change the outcome. And so I lose my sense of isolation. Two, when we confess, we lose our willingness to forgive. For when people accept and forgive us, we start to see that we, in turn, can forgive others. And I see this truth playing over and over and over again in my life, that the more that people forgive me, the easier it is for me to forgive somebody else because I'm well aware of that which has been forgiven in my own life. And so I lose this unwillingness that sometimes I hold on to to forgive, to make them pay, to show them that I'm still hurting. But when I confess, I lose that. I lose my unwillingness to forgive because for a church that's following Jesus Christ, then we always find grace and mercy. I lose my inflated false sense of pride. As we realistically see and accept ourselves, and maybe I've been too truthful with you this morning, 
we begin to gain true humility, which involves seeing ourselves as we really are and God as he really is. When we get in the habit of saying things out loud, I think not only are we telling others, but we're telling ourselves as well of this is where I am at. Let me be very clear. I'm not asking people to parade and to say, hey, look at me, I'm a sinful person, and I've done this and I've done that, because that is not of God. It's not touting the sins that we do. It is repenting of those sins and asking God and others to help us turn from those ways. So it's not, um, yeah. Fourth thing, we lose our sense of denial. That being truthful with one another with another person, it begins to tear away at our denial. We begin to feel clean and we begin to feel honest. We begin to say, here's the closet, here's the skeleton, what can I do and not, I'm just going to leave it back there and I'm going to forget that it's there and I'm not going to deal with it today. Three things that we gain. We gain healing. We begin to heal when we confess our sins to one another. We begin to find a way to go about that maybe we hadn't thought before. Or we find somebody who has gone through it and who says, here's what I did and here's how it helped. But we find healing. We find practical things that we can do. When we confess to one another, we gain freedom. For sin loses its power when it's exposed to the light. For our secrets have, our secrets have kept us in chains, bound frozen, unable to move forward in any of our relationships, either with God or with one another. And when we confess our sin, when we bring it out into the light, that chain and God's healing power can be released. It can be snapped. Why? Because darkness cannot overcome light. Light always overcomes darkness. We gain support. When we share our stuff with another person, we find support people who bear those burdens with us. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, for a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Here's what I found true about confessing, and then we'll be done here shortly. Over my years as a Christian, and I will admit I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at finding my faults and admitting my wrongs, especially in small arguments, it seems. But here's what I found to be true, is that the truth will set you free, but then it does make you miserable for a short time. It is hard. And I don't want you to think that every time you do it, it's going to be just as easy as pie. It will set you free. You will feel weight lifted off, but it will, and it has the possibility of making you miserable for a short time because guess what? Once it's out there, now I have to deal with it. When I have to deal with it, that's where the work comes in. For those that you're confided in, that's where you step in and begin to help out the work. Confession breaks the power of sin that has a hold on you. I don't know about you, but when we confess, I have found that we have more respect, not less. Again, not bloating about the sin in our life. Not bloating, not gloating 
about the sin in our life. But when we confess, we have more respect, not less. And the ones who care about me and the ones who care about you, they do what it says in James. They pray. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and ineffective. And guess what? When somebody is praying for you, it is a form of mercy. It's saying, I will fight with you. And I'm going to pray for you. I got to confess again. There's many times I say, I'll pray for you. And guess what? I forget. I don't think about it. When somebody confesses to you, as a brother or sister, it is your job to put it on your calendar and say, I'm going to pray for you because I want to show you mercy. And I want God's wisdom in me helping you deal with this.